0: Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to VLGA Connect. It's our Wednesday episode and I'm delighted to have joining me today the CEO of the VLGA, Catherine Arndt. Catherine, welcome back to VLGA Connect.
0: Hi Chris, how are you going today? It's been a long time I feel since I've sat here and had a
1: chat to you. Yes, well, we used to do the weekly newsroom, of course, through uh, COVID. Uh, things have gotten rather hectic and busy again. So um, that was probably our first program in the VLGA Connect family that got the chop. Oh, it was,
0: but it was the one that kicked things off. So I'm pretty confident that um, what we've got, um, you know, in, instead now probably fills up all those spaces anyway. But, you know, of course, we can always catch up at any time just to you know, particularly on something like we're going to talk about today.
1: Yes, a couple of important things to talk about today. I want to get to the VLGA's submission to the local government culture review in just a moment. But firstly, your impressions last week, uh, International Women's Day, lots of terrific events were held, uh, not the least of them being the VLGA's morning tea event, which I understand was a sold out event on the Monday.
0: Indeed it was, Chris. We had our event on the Monday because it is such a busy a busy week or a busy day. I think someone made the comment that it should be International Women's Week, not International Women's Day, which of course was the 8th of March. But our event on the 7th of March was a morning tea at the Windsor Hotel and it was a great success. We had a full room, a full house and we had Associate Professor Dr Andrea Carson and Professor Leah Ruppiner with us to talk about some of the early research findings of the Australian Research Grant Linkage Program that we're very proud, the VLGA is very proud uh, to be leading with La Trobe and the Melbourne University.
1: So we might just pause and bring in uh, Deborah Wu, your uh, uh, inclusion and diversity lead, who set the scene for us with a special report just as the event was getting underway. Let's have a look at that now.
2: I'm here at the Hotel Windsor for our VLGA International Women's Day morning tea. In just a few moments, everyone will start coming in and we've got councillors, community members and just some great academics that are here to share their insights with us today. International Women's Day is always a highlight on the VLGA calendar, but today we are hearing from Associate Professor Dr. Andrea Carson and Professor Leah Rupuna um, to hear about the additional insights from their research. So, Andrea and Leah have been working with us for a number of years. Andrea actually launched our campaign, Local Women Leading Change, three years ago to the day. And they have been working on Australian Research Council funded project, women in local government understanding their political trajectories. It's almost two years into the project now, um, and we have some additional insights from some surveys that we've done in the second year of the councillors' terms. I'm so excited to hear from Andrea and Leah and to really come together with everyone today. It's something that we haven't done for such a long time.
1: Thank you, Deborah. Look, that just looked fabulous, Catherine. Uh, A lovely room with lots of socially distanced, responsible people enjoying the opportunity to get together, as Deb said, for the first time in quite a while.
0: Indeed, And, and it was really a nice feeling in the room as we you know, picked up then in that segment. And uh, well done to Deborah and the team for bringing that event together.
1: Absolutely. Now, you can see more of that if that's wet your appetite on the VLGA's YouTube channel. There's uh, some longer pieces that really celebrate what what occurred on that day. Catherine, the main thing I wanted to get into with you today is your submission to the Local Government Culture Review, which closed for submissions uh, very recently. Firstly, just a recap on how you've brought your thoughts to this together.
0: Well, when we uh, first heard about the review or the idea of a review, and, and that was in conversations that we'd had with the Minister for Local Government, Sean Lean, we were really excited about the opportunities that this review might bring for the sector. So we were very conscious about ensuring that uh, our submission reflect uh, a number of conversations and particularly focused conversations that we have had and we also reached out and had, particularly in relation to the review, with uh, academics, with former politicians, with uh, leaders in their field with people in the local government sector and around the local government sector to really ensure that our response to the discussion
1: paper uh, was informed uh, and well-considered. So Catherine, let's look at some of the, um, some of the ideas uh, and uh, contentions, I guess, that you're putting forward in your uh, submission. You, you just mentioned the role of state government there briefly. One of the things that struck me early in the document is this sense that perhaps actions sometime speak louder than the the words of uh, wanting local government to be its its own distinct level of government. What do you mean by that?
0: Look, that was one of the common themes that came through when we spoke to a number of different, um, I guess, stakeholders that we consulted with was this sense that perhaps local government wasn't given the respect That it was due uh, and therefore even the autonomy to act like uh, this, I guess, independent level of government. And we know that in Victoria, in the Victorian constitution, local government is um, noted to be uh, a third level of government. So a lot of the people that we spoke with were concerned that that lack of respect did have implications for the local government sector and, and, and did influence the culture A lot of our viewers may not be aware that there is actually a Victorian state local government agreement. We can find that on the LGV website that outlines clearly. It's been around, I think, since 2014. I would just have to double check that date. But really the intent of that document was to ensure that the state government, in introducing any legislation or significant policy that might uh, influence or impact the local government sector, they would ensure that they consulted with the sector through the peak bodies. So the the VLGA, the MAV and LG Pro are mentioned in that agreement as those peak bodies that the the government, the state government, would consult with um, on any of these policies or legislation that they might be seeking to introduce. Now, in recent years, it seems that that agreement is perhaps being overlooked at times, and we've seen that very recently with the proposed bill for the social and affordable housing um, uh, initiative, Mm -hmm. where the local government sector, I guess, was overlooked and wasn't consulted with uh, when the state was considering that legislation.
1: So Catherine, one of the points you make is that when actions are not aligned with those high level stated aims and uh, and objectives, it can lead to a sense of powerlessness, which you're contending is perhaps part of uh, or contributing to um, an undesirable culture at times. Oh,
0: look, I, I think um, it certainly is a contributor. It, we're not saying that that is the sole contributor or even the main contributor, but I think it's something that does need to be acknowledged and considered. And also on the flip side of that, as our submission um, reflects, that does also influence the community's perception of the local government sector. So when we see um, the state government and even the media um, acting in a way that might um, uh, reflect almost a paternalistic or a punitive stance in regard to local government, or even overlooking this agreement and and, and um, recognizing the sector as uh, this multi-billion-dollar sector that delivers over, you know, 140 services on behalf of the state and federal gov- uh, government. The community itself then um, can can. I guess, lose respect for the sector or even just misunderstand what the role of a council is.
1: And look, on that, you also make a point about a mismatch um, that leads to councils, um, what were your words, making it difficult for councils to live up to the community engagement principles that are set down in the Local Government Act. What are you getting at there?
0: Well, in the 2020 Local Government Act that came into effect in 2020, Uh, There were uh, legislated responsibilities for councils to undertake deliberative democracy or engagement, um, I mean with their communities, and that requires councils to consult extensively and engage with their communities on um, to inform their own strategic planning, their community health and wellbeing plans, amongst many other things. So when the state government itself doesn't um, engage or consult with the local government sector and seeks to introduce legislation that then will have an impact on the community, the responsibility falls back on the council To or the expectation of the community is that the council would have consulted uh, with them on this proposed change. Now, a recent example of that would be the decriminalisation of sex workers. Now, the sector, from everyone I've spoken to in the sector, absolutely no opposition to the principle behind why decriminalisation of that industry is so important. But the lack of consultation with the local government sector really did highlight once again the overlooking of that Victorian state local government agreement but also has neglected to recognise that, and as we had on the program a few weeks ago, Tony Rownick from Hunt and Hunt Lawyers clearly indicated that there will be an impact on the local government sector to an extent yet which we're not even entirely clear about. But the community will have expectations of the sector to be able to answer questions.
1: Yes, absolutely. And it, it strikes me that these examples you're giving are different parts of government and part of the problem can be there's so many actors within that government environment uh you know, getting them all on the same page must be a challenging problem
0: it's incredibly difficult and i do feel um you know for the minister for local government to be uh, uh, there are so many departments so many different policies i, I know that the steering um group overseeing the um, implementation of the local government act and on, on which the vlga sits we did undertake a bit of an audit of all of the different initiatives legislation policies um, that were currently impacting the sector and i've got to say that um that spreadsheet got pretty long uh, across multiple departments yes.
1: mm-hmm. um look we don't we're not proposing to work through the entire submission uh, it will be public, uh, publicly available for people to delve into but one other thing i did want to touch on with you is this idea of a political versus good governance tension, and this is really getting to the heart of the notion that uh, the paper suggests that councils could act more like boards, yet boards aren't political animals like uh, a a group of elected representatives can be, are they? Therein lies a tension? Oh, absolutely,
0: Chris. And and look, I, I know that there is a sense perhaps at the state government level that they do see... Um, that councils or, or feel that councils and groups of councillors should act as a board of directors. So what we've sought to do in our submission is to really highlight the tensions though, the systemic tensions that make that very difficult to achieve, um, particularly in the, in the current system. And I must just say, Chris, that Whilst for the majority of our submission we've tried to, I guess, incorporate recommendations in the context of the current policy framework, we have also made uh, comments and recommendations uh, in regard to systemic change if there was such an appetite um, for systemic change to occur. So I, I just really wanted to put that out there. But, of course, um the governance responsibilities that councillors are legislated to undertake are very clear, but they're unlike any other level of government. Uh, and, again, the community's not really aware that councillors are required to govern on behalf of all of the stakeholders in the community. So if we look at that, um, I think it's called the public trust doctrine, where the elected representative themselves should um, once selected not be um, advocating on a personal, political or a single policy issue, but rather um, on behalf of the health and well-being of the entire um, municipality if we apply it at a local government level. Now of course the way in which councillors are elected is essentially an adversarial process, a campaign process that requires uh, or certainly implies that it requires a candidate to campaign on a single policy issue. That might just be important to one um, group of constituents in that municipality.
1: So, um, and we've seen that sort of tension playing out very recently, the Yarra council code of conduct, I think is a prime example of where those tensions have have played out and it's been very much the council of politicians as opposed to the council as a board in terms of the way it operates. Not to delve too much into that one, but I think every submission I've read, Catherine, including yours, is really making the point around preparing people for the role better. Um, That might mean better or different training, but everyone seems to agree that there's a mismatch between the role a councillor finds themselves in once they're elected for the first time and what they thought they were getting or putting their hand up for.
0: Indeed, and I must say I, I made that observation too reading the various submissions um, that I have seen. They're very similar in um, you know, making comment about the need for training, to increase the understanding of candidates. What is the role? Not quite sure how you still get around that campaigning process though. While even you might have gone through that training, but ultimately to get elected, you suddenly having to pick yeah. That issue or target one particular um, group in the community in order to to get the votes. Mm. I do reflect, though, on our colleague um, over in Canada, Ian McCormick, making uh, a comment that the election process should be like a job interview. And then once elected, the the councillors, of course, should be, um, their performance should be ranked against, I guess, how they've delivered to the community and fulfilled their responsibilities as a group of councillors. Professional development or ongoing professional development might be one of those performance indicators that voters would look at. Um, So again, our submission references the need for ongoing professional development um, amongst the council group once elected also.
1: Perhaps just one other theme I'll get you to comment on, um, the issue of of managing conflict amongst councillors and the need for more or better early inter- intervention tools uh, you make some points about that in your submission again that's I think fairly common across those uh, submissions that are being made
0: yes there's been lots of commentary on uh, early intervention uh, conflict management uh, we, we we see it so often um, in in the, the local government sector You know, we've gone so far as to even suggest that perhaps there needs to be an independent body sort of at arm's length where counsellors or councils can go for confidential advice in the first instance. Again, you know, ask the question in a safe place, no judgement, where you might be able to get some guidance and potentially that same organisation or body offer some sort of conciliation and a mediation service where councillors can come and rather than play out that conflict and tension around the council, in the council chamber, um, they could do that elsewhere. Now, I mean, that's still not ideal, but it it could be an alternative worth looking at. Um, Ultimately, we do hear so often that that a lot of time is being taken up managing these or trying to manage these conflicts in the council chamber and the business of council is actually, um, you know, falling behind because of that.
1: You, you've reminded me, I did notice the suggestion perhaps of some sort of an integrity advisor panel, uh, but also some mechanism to support CEOs who invariably from time to time get uh, caught up in uh, the midst of what's an inherently political issue they become the meat and the sandwich don't they
0: oh look absolutely and we've commented in our i think we included quite a lengthy piece in our submission about that ceo employment relationship you know we have a staff of about forty five thousand people in the local government sector and yet there isn't a separation of the administration from uh, the elected representative arm again unlike any other level of of government and i think that does creates some tension and difficulty, particularly when a CEO uh, is employed to oversee the delivery, the operational delivery of uh, services to the community. They manage up to thousands of staff and are usually uh, multi-million dollar businesses. So for them to be almost at times uh, put in that difficult situation that you just described and feeling almost hand strung, I guess, to be able to focus on the administration of of that council's business, you know, which I which are often which is often supported by plans, community health and wellbeing plans, strategic plans, uh, financial plans that extend beyond the term of one uh, council group, uh, and to have their employment so um, you know uniquely tied up with that council group does create tension at times.
1: So, Catherine, we might wrap that up there, and I'd recommend uh, if anyone has even a passing interest that they read your submission. It's, uh, it is a good read. It's, it, it's not a difficult uh, read, and it raises some really salient points, I think. And I think one of the, if nothing else, uh, one of the things coming out of this uh, culture review is the opportunity for these types of issues to be explored and talked about, um, with this with this platform that's been made available uh, it's been pretty much a difficult thing to do prior to this hasn't it? It has been
0: it's it's as I said at the beginning um, we see this as a real opportunity to get that conversation started. We will be talking about this again at our fast track program on Friday the 18th of March we have, A panel. We have the Executive Director of Local Government Victoria. We have one of the academics who was engaged by the State Government as part of this review process, uh, Professor Anona Armstrong, uh, to talk on that panel. And and there's an opportunity for councillors to, I guess, hear straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, but also to engage in some, you know, a bit of a workshop afterwards and, and a conversation about this, because we're really only at the beginning of the process. Absolutely, Uh, the state government has indicated that they would like the sector to lead, um, I guess, this cultural review and what might come from it. The VLGA, um, you know, welcomes that, but we also do note that the sector needs to be very clear as to what the parameters are, you know, what's in, what's out, uh, what can we do, what can't we do?
1: Yeah, good points, all of those. Thank you, Catherine. Now, before we let you go, speaking of panels, We've got uh, the first for the year of our global panels involving the VLGA and the LGIU coming up next week now, the 24th of March. This is going to be an exciting opportunity to learn about different types of reform in the sector.
0: That's right. And I think it's hot off the back of this local government culture review here. The As you said, the theme is um, local government reform. We have a CEO from New Zealand, Uh, We have the CEO of Limerick Council, uh, a CEO from the UK, and also we have our own Dr Marcus Spiller from SGS Economics and Planning, who has been around the local government sector in Australia for many years and, of course, was one of the the people that we also spoke to in regard to our submission. So looking forward to that panel. Thursday, the 24th of March, um, kicking off here, I think, at 6.30pm. Um, which is quite early over there in the UK. I think it's 7.30 for them, but um, hopefully um, uh, it it should be a very
1: um, enlightening discussion, I think. Yes, looking forward to it, Catherine. I can tell you uh, we're going to hear about Three Waters Reform, which is the hottest topic in uh, local government governance in New Zealand at the moment, and we're going to hear about how about five different councils came together as one in a restructure in, uh, in the UK. That's just a couple of the topics. Um, as well as some some best practice principles for, for going about reform processes. So well worth being a part of if any of that is even of the slightest interest to you. Thank you, Catherine. It's great to catch up and let's try to not let so much time go by until you come back and join us on VLGA Connect.
0: Indeed. I'll talk to you soon,
1: Chris. Catherine Arndt is the CEO of the VLGA. That's our program for today. We'll be back on Friday with our next governance update. Until then, thanks for watching and bye for now.